Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to another edition of Speak of the Devils, but with a little bit of a different twist. One thing remains the same. I'm joined by Amanda Stein. Amanda, how are you? I'm good, Maddie. Nice to see you, hear from you. Yes, it is good to be with you once again. The difference is that rather than one subject, or maybe two, because we oftentimes have Catherine Bogart from the community side of things join us with an interview that she has done, we're going to kind of pick and choose from some of the shows that we've done throughout the course of the year. And it's hard to believe that, A, we're ending the year, and B, we've been doing this now for almost a year, and we've attracted a pretty good following, and I think we've done some wonderfully interesting shows. It's crazy to think that 2020 is coming to an end because at the same time that it has felt so long and arduous and just, you know, a constant struggle for everyone, it also feels like it's gone by in the flash, you know, a blink of the eye. Um, and, and here we are now, you know, hopefully getting back on the ice. But it's, it's pretty crazy to think also just how much we've done, Matt without having, you know, actual games and those types of storylines, we've really dug deep and tried to connect with a lot of different elements of the game that don't involve actually playing it. Yeah, it's been fun to do that, but we are all looking forward to when the games (laughs) resume. And I should say, and I don't want uh, to miss the moment because we are in the holiday season, whatever it is that you celebrate, whether it's Christmas, whether it was Hanukkah, which has recently come to an end, whether it's Kwanzaa, whether you celebrate at all, whether you're just a part of this human race, we wish you the very best for a safe and healthy season and uh, looking forward to a prosperous 2021. And I know you echo those sentiments. I as do. Well. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's begin. And uh, Andrew McLean, our, our producer, uh, helped call this. In fact, he basically pulled these out with some suggestions from us. But, you know, the one that, that stood out, I guess, number one for us, not because of necessarily what was discussed, but who was doing the discussing. And that is the always funny, always on Uh, Scotty Gomez, who 20 years ago, hard to believe it was 20 years ago, became the second Devils Rookie of the Year award winner when uh, he joined Marty Brodeur uh, with that honor. A terrific devil and a champion as well, isn't he? And a terrific guy. I mean, if you want to laugh, if you want to have a good time, like Scotty's the guy to go to. You know, I remember seeing him at the... um, the the reunion they had this past year and man was he just like on fire everywhere you went and his family appears to be just the exact same and oh yeah Daddy, I knew that like you know obviously like I knew Scott from the time that he played in Montreal which was a very different time in his career but you really worked with him in his prime so you really got the basis of his personality which I think becomes a lot more reserved if you're a player in Montreal Oh yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. He burst on the scene, and he is uh, as effervescent today as he was as a rookie. He was not a rookie in the tried and true sense, in that they're better to be seen and not heard. Scotty Gomez was heard in the locker room and on the ice. And you're right, his parents, Carlos and Dahlia, are amazing. Very- Yes, cut from the same cloth, and his sisters are terrific, too. Anyway, so let's begin this season recap of Speak of the Devils with Scotty Gomez finding, or at least thinking, maybe hoping he found his future wife. I think it was my first game right home, and I'm sitting in the room, and I just was like, this is uncomfortable. I can't sit here. This is." And anyway, we had a little lounge, 
So I didn't know, and you don't know the rules. I don't know if I'm allowed to go wherever I want or do I have to stay in here? So I walk in the lounge and there was a, Jennifer Aniston was uh, on the cover of People magazine, and I thought she'd be my future wife at one point now that I'm in the NHL. And so I just grabbed the magazine, and next thing you know, I'm laying on the couch just reading, and Scotty comes around the corner, and we still got like 20 minutes to go, or, and Scotty comes around, and I see him in the corner of my eye, and I'm like, oh, oh, man, is this good? Or like, And he just goes right back in the locker room, and he's like going like this, and next thing you know, there's like a bunch of vets just around me. They couldn't believe that I was going to play my first home national hockey, or national hockey league game. And I'm lounging out reading about Jennifer Aniston. Always providing a chuckle, always putting a smile on people's faces. Scotty Gomez. Now Scotty is still single and Jennifer, Amanda. She, has is. Been, she is. She, she is. is. She is once she's, again. She's been exactly once again, she's been through a few highly noted, highly covered relationships, but she's still around. She, she is, so and she, she, she's she's actually, from the time I was young, like, one of my favorite actresses. I was a huge Friends fan, so I was going to say that, you know, Scotty's probably not the only one on this planet who has envisioned Jennifer <laughs> Aniston as his wife, but hey, you're right, like, this is, now's your time, Scotty. <laughs> That's it. Maturity <laughs> has come uh, to Scotty, and, and perhaps it's time. Well, our, our next segment involves, uh, well, first off, a guy who was and remains a very good friend of Scotty Gomez as they hit it off right from the get-go. And I think in many ways they're cut from the same cloth. Ken Danico, an exuberant individual, and he loves to talk. And there are a lot of similarities to their personalities, though not necessarily to their games. One was a gifted forward. One was a solid defenseman, of course. But both have their place in devil's history. But Dano and Louis DeBrusque. Now, Louis DeBrusque was a part of our show during the bubble play. We wanted to figure out a little bit what was going on in the bubble when the NHL returned to play. And Louis, based out of Edmonton, was part of the national coverage on the Canadian side. He gave us some great insights. But, you know, he is known, as Dano was, for not just one thing, but the thing they did best in many ways, and and that was dropping the gloves. I'm excited for this one because Chris Westcott was actually doing this interview with you. So I didn't actually have a chance to, you know, have the dialogue back and forth. So I got to enjoy this part of the, well, the whole conversation, but really this part of the conversation as a fan who wasn't part of the discussion. So this this is a gem right here. So we'll pull back the curtain a little bit on what it's like when two guys know what they're going to do, what they have to do, and, <laughs> and, do, what it. and, and do it, what it's all about. <laughs> you once fought Mr. Devil himself, Ken Danico, twice in the same period. <laughs> do you remember that? March yeah, 18th, 1993. Yep. Ken was doing what he always did. <laughs> he came over and was protecting his teammate. You know, strong as an ox he was, we, we we scrolled and went down. I wasn't happy with the first one. I think I did pretty good the first one. And he was one big, tough, tough guy. So I went back out the next time. He barreled after me the second time, and I think he got the better of me the second time around. But after the second fight, he kind of hogtied me and threw me down like a rag doll. And I was on the ice, and I was looking. He's like, what are you doing? I said, ah, sorry, man. I'm just trying to get something going. I had to answer the bell again because he, he was this young kid frothing at the mouth, and I had no choice. <laughs> You know, I have a great deal of respect. Fighting has really been significantly reduced in the game, and there are many reasons why that's a good thing. I still like an occasional good bout. Nobody leaves their seats. They all rise up to watch what's going on when it occurs. But I've always been amazed 
there are two general things. One, the fighters have great personalities. They oh, yeah. are like the greatest guys in the sport. And number two, they don't talk about it much, but if you can get them to discuss what it's like the night before when they know yes. this is what is going to happen. Uh, they have amazing, amazing um, stamina, drive, whatever it is to face down an opponent that's coming after them 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, I used to work with Chris Nylon, who is also known as Knuckles Nylon. So, you know, he he was known to drop them, you know, here and there as well in his career. And those were things that I was able to talk to him about. And just like, you know, the, the pride in doing it, but also sometimes like that fear of knowing that it's coming and that you're going to do it anyways. Um, I, it's look, I fighting is a very questionable part of the game in my eyes, but you got to respect the guys who really that's what they did for a living when it came to being a part of this game. Knuckles Nylon, a former <laughs> Devils assistant coach for a brief. That's true. Period. Yeah. Yes. There's a Devils connection there as well. Well, a different kind of pressure is one that all athletes want to have, and that is Game seven of the Stanley Cup final or the seventh game of the World Series, whatever it is. Athletes want that moment and they want it to come to them. And our our next guest had that opportunity in 2003 when the Devils in Anaheim went seven games crossing the continent to play them before the Devils finally became victorious. Well, this is the moment, right, that any athlete or any kid growing up with the hopes of being an athlete when they dig into their imagination when they're on the street playing with their friends you know shouting car in case there's a car coming this is the moment that they all experience you know when they either crack the bat or shoot the puck Mike Rupp got to actually live out this dream that millions of athletes around the world have always dreamt of being part of And it came about because of an injury. He was a black ace during that playoff series for the most part, or the playoff run by the Devils in 2003. But when he was called upon, Mike Rupp delivered. We have some audio we're going to play back here to game seven as the Devils returned from California, playing at home against the Mike Ducks. The game is scoreless after one period of play. And then early in period number two, this is what happens. Rupp picks it up, trying to go back to the point. Did White shot blocked by Niedermeyer. Scott Niedermeyer scores. Mike Rupp deflected it. Langenbrunner, Rupp, freezing. They had a great first period deep. They won the battles along the boards, and now they go to the so Mike Rupp at 222 of period number two gives the Devils a one nothing lead in a game they win three nothing. And that is the GWG of 2003 Stanley Cup game seven. Uh, so when you reflect back on that, Mike, what, what a singular moment for any player's career. But you become the first player to score his first playoff goal that turns out to be a game winning goal and the only player to have done that. So your place in history is secure. It just, there's a lot of stipulations that go into that. So I, the more the more layers you get to a record, I got another one for you. How about this one? This one's hilarious. And I'm saying this in a 
sarcastic way because I'm not certainly I'm not bragging about it. It's but it's it's funny because you talk about a record. There's another record that I hold in this league. You know what it is? Your first NHL game scoring two goals on your birthday. <laughs> I'm like, that's never gonna happen ever again. Like I'm not sure. So not only not only do you have to get called up on your birthday, not only have to score a goal, you have to score two. So uh, yeah, man, listen, that's if that's the way I'll be remembered with a couple very uh, random uh, records, uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. I never thought I would have any of those. So, uh, um, but yeah, you know, when when you're looking at that uh, that game, it's it's a unique situation in itself because I was a black ace. Right, like I didn't play the. You only played four games that's in the playoffs. Right, had four points. I didn't play the first uh, the first three rounds. I did not play a game. I didn't even practice with the team. Um, Stanley Cup Finals are in, obviously, uh, bouncing back and forth between Anaheim and New Jersey. So they need more bodies to travel, just in case, because it's not convenient, obviously, to to bring a guy up in emergency condition. So me and Christian Berglund are the two forwards that are asked to travel with the team so we're, we're, we're you know that's that kind of is, is part of it so the first three games of the series we're up two games to one and we all know Joe Noondike was banged up at that time he was out of the lineup and um, I get thrown in in game four so I play four five six and seven so I think that that's part of that record it's it's usually black aces don't get in uh, let alone um, you know, play the last four games uh, that are possible to play in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, um, yeah, you know what? I, I got put in a great situation. So what a moment for Mike Rupp. And it's one of those moments in an athlete's career you dream about. But what it does, and Mike's gone on and he had a wonderful career and he's gone on to a great career in the media world. But that's, that goes with you oh, yeah. for the rest of your life. When you walk into a room, it's Mike Rupp is here. Oh, scored the, the game Cup winning goal. goal yeah yep. yeah yep. yeah absolutely as it should as it should it's a it's a huge accomplishment it's a you know like we said before we we heard from uh mike rapp it's it's what everyone dreams of they do now i'm sure larry robinson had the same dreams growing up as uh, he was hoping to play in the national hockey league and let's see that dream of winning a cup <laughs> I think he was did okay. An, was answered many times over, wasn't it? <laughs> I I think so. I think it was um, achieved multiple times in a row, often with the expectations that every single year he would add to the ring collection. And not just him, of course. This is him as a player, uh, the entire Montreal Canadian team of that time. I mean, he was just part of an incredible, legendary, long-lasting team of Montreal Canadiens and, you know, went into the hearts of that fan base. But I do know, having moved over from working with the Canadians to working with the New Jersey Devils, man, do they love him here just as much, if not more. Yeah, part of the uh, Jacques Lemaire coaching tandem. Jacques was the head coach, Larry the assistant, and they won the Stanley Cup in 95. Larry was the head coach taking over uh, late in the season in 2000, leading the Devils to that Stanley Cup. Uh, Lastly, winning a cup uh, as a member of the management side with St. Louis. And so I don't know where he finds room for all those trophies and all those rings, but Larry Robinson, one of the all-time greats, and he spent time with us on the podcast reflecting on that legacy. 
<laughs> you know, Larry, I'm sure you hear stories like that on a regular basis. I became a fan of because of your play, your teammates play. I mean, what a great run. You won six cups with those Canadian teams. When you mm-hmm. hear that, does it ever get old? No, if you don't hear it, that's when you start to worry. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, you you uh, work all your life and you play a game that you love. And it's nice that, you know, people get to appreciate what you did. And uh, I even have, you know, as you know, I, I was working with the, the Blues the last few years. And um, I'll often get guys come up to me and say, hey, oh, yeah, I watch." What's your game last night uh, in the 1979 uh, Stanley Cup playoffs or whatever? He said, do you ever get off the ice? And, <clears throat> you know, when you're playing, you don't even realize some of the stuff that you do. And, I, and I, never, I never was a guy that used to really like watching myself. I didn't like to watch myself play because uh, I guess I was too critical. I figured I should have done better or whatever. But uh, um I appreciate, I really, really appreciate the, the people that come up and say, you know, uh, the reason that I'm watching hockey is because I, I used to watch you as a, as a youngster or whatever, except if they're, look, they, if they look or they're about the same age as I am and they say, I used to watch you as a youngster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said before we intro the segment, Amanda, that Larry Robinson is, is as beloved here Mm-hmm. And in this organization and among the fan base as he is in Montreal, because we know the standard bearer he was with the Canadians, one of yeah. the greatest players to ever suit up in this league. And while he never played for the Devils, his impact is as long lasting. And he is a Hall of Famer as a player and a human being. 100%. And it's funny, Maddie, because, you know, I, I grew up with the legend of um, Larry Robinson. And so when I moved to New Jersey and I heard so much about him through the eyes of devils fans, I actually like, I had to go back and check. I was like, I didn't think he played here. And then I was like, Oh no, he's so beloved here as a coach and what he did in the assistant and in a head coaching role. So he is a, he is someone that everyone, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Larry Robinson. He is generous. He's kind. Um, He's an awesome, awesome guy. He is, as is our next guest. And this was one of your favorite podcasts, one of our favorite, your favorite guests. It it really was. And so this was a chance earlier this summer, I believe it was, to speak to Bobby Holik. And for me, I knew the name really well. I knew him as a player, um, but from a distance, obviously. And when we got to sit down with him, and particularly the conversation that you had back and forth with him, because you guys go so far back together, um, he is just one of the most, if not the most fascinating people that I've ever had a chance to be a part of an interview with. I mean, I, I was taken aback by how thoughtful every single answer was. He is very much a a deep thinker on a lot of different issues. He was a voice, not always of reason, quite frankly, in the (laughs) locker room. He was he was one of those guys that said, hey, it's going great, but we can be better. He always provided that counterbalance as well. But what a voice it was. And again, on the ice was a terrific devil. One thing. We do know about Bobby Holik and our listeners, if they didn't found out about it by uh, joining us for this segment, is that though he was born in the then Czechoslovakia Mm -hmm. and is proud of those roots, he is very much proud of being an American citizen. 
why was it important for you to become a U.S. citizen? I know your wife is born here, but why was it important for you? Because uh, I uh, I grew up in a, I don't want to say, it was a great, great place to grow up. Czechoslovakia under communism was a great place to grow up because as a kid, you don't know. But as you as you get older and you learn what your parents and grandparents and everybody around you had to sacrifice for you to have these opportunities, this was a beacon. Oh, this is a beacon of freedom. I don't, care, especially in today. I don't want to get into into politics or anything. But people have to realize this country has meant has made more people free, not only in the United States but around the world than any other country in history of mankind. And it's one thing. I don't want anybody to forget. And for me to honor it was to become a citizen if I'm going to live here and be American citizen with all the good and with all the bad. And um, yeah, people just forget because they've had it for so good that this country has, has meant so much for people like me and my parents. Not that they live here, but their son and daughter ended up living here and pursuing their opportunities, their, their ch- you know, chances in life and much different than it would be in Czechoslovakia under communism. You mentioned your sister. At what age did she go over to the United States, and what does she do in terms of pursuing her opportunities? She, she, was, a tennis, uh, pro, she, was, a tennis, she was a professional tennis player at the time, and it was uh, in her early 20s or maybe around 29, uh, maybe even before she was 20. Right. And, but that was... Uh, that was then and uh, things have changed and they moved back eventually they live in my hometown where, where my mom is at but you know again she was taking the chance because this was a this was the beacon of freedom this was the where if you're good at something you work very hard you can you can pursue it yes people will continue will continue to create obstacles but it's on their personal level this as a country this as an institution is the greatest place in the history of mankind for people to pursue their opportunities. Bobby Holik never minces his words. One great thing about him, one of the many great things about him, Amanda, is that you always know where you stand with him. He is as honest as the day. As long as you may not agree with him on certain issues, but he is an honest person, and I'm so happy we could share some time with him. Oh, me too. I mean, just for the perspective that I was talking about before, I feel like I got to know who Bobby is as a human being just because of what you're saying. You know, he doesn't mince his words. He just tells it like he feels it and like like it is for him. Um, and for me, honestly, Matt, I mean, I've talked to you about this before, but it is such a joy when I get to be a part of these podcasts with you when we do talk to former players who are, you know, are well before, you know, I ever joined the franchise and people you've spent a lot of time with, it is such a joy to just listen to the back and forth between whoever we're talking to and you just like the reminiscing part. Yeah. That's that. A, that, and I enjoy it too. That's a great part about reconnecting with some of these guys through our podcast. Uh, I you know, will one you- day, sorry, one day, Matt, it'll be like me and Nico Hishir, you know? Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. No question. No question. You will, you will move from, <laughs> and well, you'll remain as reporter, but you'll move toward historian, right? Exactly. That, that's what happens <laughs> exactly. when you're around long enough. I'll tell you a quick Bobby Holik story, then we'll move on to our next segment. So Bobby signs with the Rangers. This is Bobby Holik in a nutshell. He signs with the Rangers. They're going through a terrible stretch. He's at the Meadowlands, mm-hmm. and we're doing interviews with him, of course, because he's a former devil in this and that, and, and the Rangers are going bad. And with all the Rangers within earshot, he says in that voice that only Bobby Holik has, 
I am playing for the most fundamentally unsound team I've ever <laughs> been on. This is the guy they just signed for massive amounts of money, but he was never going to let the truth, uh, you know, deter him uh, from. Do you remember like what the reaction was, or was well, it just then, more of yeah, an earshot? To- no, no, no. There was a little bit of like looking over, <laughs> but by then, listen. Bobby is Bobby, and everyone kind of yeah. knew it, and, and there was a lot of just shaking heads. But boy, yep, he, the, the truth, the truth was always there. He, he never, he never shied away from it. And, and by the way, they were a terrible team. They were fundamentally unsound. There's no question about that. Anyway, moving on. So the New Jersey Devils have been here since the early '80s, as we know, and we do take great pride in the fact that it is the New Jersey Devils, the only team who plays in the state that uses New Jersey in its name. And the fan base is passionate and we love those who call New Jersey home and have had success in other fields of endeavor. And this next guest certainly has made his mark as a a writer, a comedian, a producer, a director. I mean, he is Hollywood. He born in New Jersey, but calls California home. I think it's Twitter handle says something to that effect, you know, Jersey born, no, uh, body in California, mind in New Jersey. I I think that's what it says. We're talking about Kevin Smith, who, uh, you know, people certainly are familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I don't know. I just love that he's a Devils fan. I love that he wears the hot like hockey jerseys everywhere. He's just sort of this epitome of just someone who loves our sport, you know, through and through and loves our team. Uh, indeed, uh, has been at many a game and does follow the New Jersey Devils very, very He knows closely. his stuff. He does know his stuff. And uh, it was fun to have him join us on our draft show, which seems like a long time ago. But boy, it's not what a, really that long ago. What, what a great venture it was as uh, we were on for over two hours and we had connections from California, Kevin Smith, all the way through locally. And then, of course, out to Sweden, where we interviewed Alex Holtz for the program. So it was a wonderful night. And part of it was the greatest of all time, Marty Brodeur, speaking with Kevin Smith. And as you might imagine, not shockingly, the <laughs> conversation, conversation veered just a little bit. If you had to pick just one Devils team that you played on to beat an elite alien race in a game of ice hockey like Space Jam for the fate of planet Earth, which team, which Devils team do you choose? Whew, a little scary. Um, I would probably uh, pick the 2000 uh, Cup team. Uh, that team was as fast as it gets, as tough as it gets. So uh, I'm not sure how we're going to beat aliens, but if, if <laughs> I would bring that team with me anyway. <laughs> you have any chance at saving the galaxy, it's with that team. So, as uh, we said, that that did take a little bit of a twist. And uh, Marty Marty was kind of scratching his head there a little bit, like, how am I going to answer this question? A band of aliens. But that tells you how Kevin Smith's mind works, why he is such an entertainer, right? It's not straight lines. He thinks outside the box. Which I think is, you know, it, it can be, like, troubling for a hockey player because they're so used to this, like, very typical regiment of questions, right? <laughs> and sometimes when you catch them off guard, they just don't know what to say. But Marty, as always, handled things perfectly. Yes, indeed. So we began the introductions to these various segments by saying it's been a year since Speak of the Devils has been a part of the media landscape. Uh, but what has been 
In addition, more recently, as we welcome Catherine Bogart into the program, is that we've incorporated some of your great work, Catherine, on the community side, some of the great interviews that you've done uh, with many members of our community that, that span every facet of life into the show. And personally, it's been great because we're getting off the hockey subject a little bit, but there's still a tie-in and uh, you've done a terrific job. So welcome to our season in review. Thank you. It's great to be here with both of you as we are many times throughout this year. It's been a lot of fun and I think why the community stuff has been so much fun as well, bringing it in is because you guys have been so engaged with it. And, you know, the community side is a huge part of this team. Like you said earlier in this episode, the Devils are the only New Jersey professional sports team, Matt. And for you to bring that up, that's so important because we are a huge part of this New Jersey community as being the only New Jersey sports team. So it's really nice to highlight those stories and share it with both of you and share it with our listeners because there are some pretty amazing people in this state that we've been able to feature. And one of the things that has always been a hallmark of the New Jersey Devils being in New Jersey is they have been community oriented. But the truth of the matter is, under the guidance of HBSE and our uh, senior management and uh, our managing partners, we've expanded that so dramatically. And the impact is amazing and it's it's heartwarming and it's important that we continue that kind of outreach. What, what do you get out of speaking with these members of the community about their various facets and what you find that you enjoy about bringing their message to our listeners? Yeah, I think something that's, at least from my point of view, I'm always so honored when someone will share a story with us and share part of their life and, you know, highlight something, whether it's hockey fights, cancer, or whether it's International Day of Persons with Disabilities, no matter what these days are, these stories that we share, I'm always so honored that they want to talk to me and share it. But on the flip side, they always tell me, you know, I'm so happy the devils are featuring me and talking to me. And that's just so endearing because it's a mutual respect from both sides. And I think my, actually, my mom's family is from New Jersey. They're from Bergen County. My dad is from, um, New York City and Long Island. So my whole family has lived in this area for my entire life and even longer than that. So for me to be able to come back after years being away, not living in this area, come home and then be able to talk with people that I get to meet through this job. It's just been an honor. And I think it's very exciting too, to be able to share these stories because New Jersey is an amazing state filled with amazing people who really not only make a difference in the community, but also can inspire change. So what better way to share their stories than on our podcast? Yeah, we're thrilled that it has been incorporated into the program. By the way, Josh Harris, David Blitzer, I should give credit by mentioning them by name, our managing partners. At any rate, what is this segment that we've pulled a little bit from the podcast that you did? What's it all about? Yeah, so this segment today is one that's very near and dear to my heart. Back with Hockey Fights Cancer in uh, 2019, we actually hosted a girl named Grace who was battling um, cancer and she was so brave to come in. She was at that point, no sign of disease for about six weeks, but she spent a day with the devils going to practice, being on the ice. Jack Hughes was giving her some shooting tips. And then she was in the locker room talking with Nico Heischer and John Hayden and so many other players. And then she came back for the hockey fights cancer game to drop the puck. Well, we had the opportunity to check in with her recently to talk about what her life has been like since she dropped the puck, since she had that whole experience. And then we also reflected on her new charity initiative called With Grace, 
So we check in with her in this interview all about everything and also talk with her parents. Let's now bring in Grace, Dan, and Aubrey, the Eline family. Welcome back. It is so good to see all of you once again. Thank you. No, thank you. It's so exciting to be able to talk to you. (laughs) Thank Um, you for having us back. Of course. It has been about a year we were talking since we saw you all at Prudential Center. Grace, what have you been up to over this past year? Well, it's been a lot. Because of COVID, I've been a little bit more chill, but I've still been trying to make the most out of this experience and be able to um, do some stuff for my initiative even during these times. Um, So I've been doing school, of course, because the school season just started. I've been doing some sports, but I've also been um, kind of running my initiative with Grace. I've been running a the kids committee, which is basically like the mini committee. My mom runs the adult committee and I run the kids committee. And it basically consists of um, a bunch of my friends and there's um, another fellow cancer survivor too. And we're just coming up with some fun kid friendly ideas for the um, with Grace initiative. And then we hand them off to the adult committee to kind of process and it's just been so exciting because we started during COVID and it's just been so cool and it's been a really fun journey. A year ago you came in you were able to skate with the team participate in practice hang out in the locker room afterwards and that was just day one of your journey with the Devils. Let's first start with that day. What was that experience like when you look back a year later? So it was so cool and just really exciting to be there. It was like a really wonderful and exciting experience because it's like, it's a really, it's like a once in a lifetime experience. And I can't like, not everybody can say that they got to skate with the devils at their practice. So that was just really cool. And it was just really cool to kind of learn some cool things about hockey and about the game that I didn't know. And I got to meet some of the players and the coaches, which was just really cool because I'd seen them on TV and I've seen how well they do in games. So it was just really cool to kind of learn some of their techniques. And it was just really exciting overall. And it was cool to be able to represent the cause, which and it was just such an honor for me. And Aubrey, you were there with Grace. You were seeing your daughter on the ice with all of these big, tall hockey players. What was that experience like watching your daughter be able to be a part of the Devils team for a day? Um, It was a huge honor. Um, I think because of everything that Grace has come through, um, having her be honored and uh, be able to have that type of experience, I think is really important. Um, I was sweating a little bit because it was one of her first times skating. So that was a little nerve wracking. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> don't mess it up. But I think um, having her be able to have that experience and like she came off the ice, I think it was, you know, she was in shock going into it and coming off of it and even reflecting on it, being able to see who she was skating with um, in that type of environment was really um, inspiring for her and exciting for us that she was able to have that experience. Um, you know, she's been through so much. So it was we feel very fortunate that she was able to have that experience, um, you know, and kind of celebrate her being well and be able to meet, you know, and have one of her first ice skating lessons on the ice with real ice skating professionals. <laughs> well, Grace, after that first few laps around the ice, you definitely got more of your skating ability and you actually <laughs> took some solo laps around Prudential Center ice. Fast forward a couple weeks later, you were once again on Prudential Center ice presenting Mm -hmm. and dropping the puck before the hockey fights cancer game for the devils and also reading the starting lineup in the locker room. Let's go to that day. What was that experience like on the hockey fights cancer game night? 
it was really just like so cool for me because um I like watching hockey on TV and to like actually kind of be there um up and close it was really cool um and it was super like exciting and it was just such an honor for me because I got to be able to represent hockey fights cancer and that was just um really exciting because after all I've been through and be able being able to kind of represent um this cause it's just been super cool and I got to learn um a lot of cool facts about hockey and I got to meet a bunch of the players and more people and like all the devil's uh team which was just super exciting and I know that I will remember this for the rest of my life it was an incredible night. And Dan, you were able to join us for that night. What was your favorite part of that whole experience for the Hockey Fights Cancer game? Uh, I, I mean, it's it's probably hard to pick one thing that was the favorite because it was really it was really amazing. Um, I mean, I think, you know, on one level, just watching kind of a, a little girl walk out onto the ice and, and command the attention of an entire arena full of hockey fans is, is kind of a mind-blowing experience. But I think, you know, what really blew me away was how, the you know, everyone, all of the players, the organization, you know, how they were with Grace, right? And how they, you know, it was interesting to see how she affected them and how everyone, you know, kind of brought forward and shared, you know, their various stories. And, and it was all, you know, obviously surrounded by this surreal experience where you're, you're kind of around, you know, active famous players and, you know, historic famous players. And you're like, yeah. okay, this is really going on. And, you know, and then all the while on the back of your head is the parent thing where you're like, okay, how do I top this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is something that you don't necessarily need to top because that is, like Grace said, a once in a lifetime experience. Aubrey, when you see the NHL embrace something like coming together and fighting cancer, how much as an advocate in fighting cancer does that mean to you and to see that representation on the main stage. It's huge um, because it brings the awareness to a whole new level. And I think there's so many things going on, you know, that, that those players and that the organization, the NHL is focused on that they take a moment outside of sort of the hockey um, world to be able to acknowledge a cause like this Um it means so much because it just really brings that awareness out there. And I think I'm still kind of in shock that an organization like that can take a moment, um, not just, you know, with the devils, but then also, you know, across the country and represent that cause. Um, it, it means so much because so much of the advocacy work is about getting the awareness out there. Um, so it's, it's, it brings it to a whole new level. It's, it's, it's kind of surreal. I think Dan mentioned the surreal factor. It's kind of surreal even from that standpoint that, you know, again, the organization takes a time out to do that. And it's amazing. Grace, even though you are still young and you haven't graduated college, you haven't even been to college yet. You are a huge advocate for other children who are going through what you have gone through. How important is it for you to continue your advocacy in the fight against cancer? For me, it's really important just because there's like so much about uh, childhood cancer and just cancer in general that we don't know. And by kind of advocating for this, we're going to raise a lot of more awareness. And for me specifically, it's just um, really amazing for me because I get to be the voice for those who are in treatment and can't really advocate for themselves. And for those who have passed away, I get to kind of be their voice. And for me, that's just such an honor because I kind of like and now I kind of think that I'm going to dedicate my life to kind of, you know, raising awareness and 
um, to this cause because there's a bunch of kids who can't right now. And that's just, for me, it's just such an honor and something that it's just like really important to me. And Grace, you mentioned it before, but let's dive into it. The With Grace Initiative. How did this come about and what have you been up to with your advocacy, with your own initiative? So we've been doing a lot of things, um, a lot of exciting things. But so we've been doing advocacy, as you mentioned. So we actually wrote to the governor of New Jersey and I collected like a bunch of my friends and they collected some of their friends and family. And we kind of just got a big group and we wrote two different like people in the government to kind of recognize September as pediatric cancer awareness. And I wrote to the governor specifically. And then a few weeks later, he sent us an email and then he asked to call me and he said, we, he got your letter and he was like so honored to recognize this throughout the state. And he was so excited and that he did that, which was just so exciting. Um, but I started the with grace initiative because um, as my mom said, she was like, so honored to kind of like see what all these kind of initiatives and organizations were doing for me while I was in treatment. And because I'm out of treatment and I'm healthy and I can be able to help other people, now I really want to give back and be able to inspire and help other people. So that's, you know, my main goal with Grace. And I want to kind of inspire other people so then when they're out of treatment and healthy that they can inspire more people. And so it's kind of like a domino effect and it can just help so many people. And that's just my main goal, uh, and just to really inspire people, inspire good vibes, and kind of just, you know, spread kindness, but of course, raise awareness for childhood cancer, and that's just something so important to me with Grace. Grace, for our viewers who are watching, how can they get involved with With Grace, and where can they find With Grace, on social media and online? Okay, so... Our website is um, withgraceinitiative.org, and there you can find a lot of our contact information. Like if you ever want to email us or um, send us a letter, there's our information there. We're also on social media. We are at uh, With Grace Initiative. That is on all our social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, kind of just all that. And on our website, there are a few ways to get involved. But one really big thing, I think, is to kind of um, donate to With Grace because we're doing a bunch of things. We're doing some advocacy and we're supporting research. And um, with the donations, we can be able to help other people, which is just the, um, the most important thing for me, I think. Well, a year later, after you joined the Devils family and became a part of it, through Hockey Fights Cancer. We are so honored to have you all back with us to discuss everything. The With Grace Initiative is an amazing step and I appreciate all of your time. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing more about your lives in this past year. Well, terrific as always, Catherine. And I can just imagine her eyes so wide open Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, and then walking out on the ice to drop the puck. Boy, oh boy, what what a, a memory and, and what a wonderful time for Grace. But, you know, just terrific, heartwarming podcast. Yeah, and it's a family that I'm truly so thankful to have connected with through this job. I actually keep in touch with them quite a bit. Um, Aubrey and I, the mother text back and forth every couple of weeks, make sure that everyone's good. And actually some really great news to share on this front, two days ago was Grace's two-year mark with no evidence of disease. So she is two years cancer-free, which, you know, is such an incredible thing. And she's such an inspiring kid. And now a kid who has a chance to live a normal life, 
But my favorite part from this interview, though, that I have to bring up again, and I'm sure all of us will understand this. They they talked about, you know, quarantine and the struggle of staying in. But then Aubrey was like, well, we had to kind of do that when Grace was sick. So we're pros at quarantine by now. And, you know, what a that's such a cool thing that this family has brought so much light and humor to their situation. Yeah. And they they try to look at the bright side of everything and it takes a quarantine that they're like, no, we've already done this. We know how to do this. We're <laughs> pros at this. 2020 has nothing on us. And you know what? That's a fan- first off, fantastic news as it applies to Grace. But what a way to end things, right? To send us into a new year. Uh, my wife Maggie and I were talking a few weeks ago about how we we're going to be celebrating the holidays, and it's very small. It's just our immediate family. You know, we're following the protocols. And then she mentioned casually, "Well, you know, and we won't celebrate New Year's Eve." Oh, oh. Oh, I said, no, we're celebrating New Year's <laughs> Eve because I am kicking 2020 Goodbye. in the tail. Uh, that's get out of here. But anyway, just a great way to end uh, this season and program by an uplifting story. And uh, hopefully it carries on for 2021. And, and, and we all have good times and healthy times and prosperous times. Catherine, thanks so much. Thank you. It's been great to be on here with you guys recapping this year. It's been a <laughs> difficult year, but we've had some fun moments, right? We have indeed. Absolutely. And Amanda, I think we gave our listeners a little taste, those who have stayed with us from start to finish, and we have more podcasts coming. Uh, start to finish, they they remembered some of those. It was nice to refresh their memory. And it for those was. who are a little newer to it, it's a reminder, go back into the library. I was going to say, they're some- still all there. You can hear the full conversations on our website. So please yeah. Go check them out for more. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, throughout the year as this edition was enjoyable to uh, relive 2020. So for Catherine Bogart and Amanda Stein, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you so much for your company. It's very much appreciated. We'll see you soon, everybody. Until then, be safe, be healthy, be happy, and let's go Devils. Devils.